we can see new amino acids in this capsid. In other words, we can see uh, new antigenic profiles of this, this virus. Hello, I'm Peter Best. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Meet the Expert, the series of podcasts on swine health management in practice brought to you by Boehringer Engelheim. For this episode of Meet the Expert, our subject will be the porcine parvovirus, or PPV. And I'm very pleased to say the expert helping us is Professor André Philippe Streck. Professor Streck, hello and welcome. Dear Peter, thank you for your kind invitation. Uh, I would like to, to thank the entire team of Boring Ingeheim for the productive dialogues that we have. And also it's an honor to be here and I hope to pass on some nice, some, some interesting information. Thank you. Uh, let me tell our listeners, please, uh, your, uh, your PhD, it's in veterinary sciences, isn't it? And you're now based in southern Brazil as associate professor in the Institute of Biotechnology at the University of Caxias do Sul. Has the study of the porcine parvovirus played a big part in your working life? Yes, yes, indeed. Well, after my graduation in the in the med vet school, I started to do a master degree uh, with Professor Claudio Canal uh, in the University of Rio Grande do Sul. And in this time, PPV, porcine parvovirus, was a, a subject that had a growing interest at my uni, my university. I remember to uh, discussing the, the findings of several mummifieds. Uh, without a diagnostic at this time. And also, in this time, that was the year 2006, uh, we had the, the porcine circovirus too uh, here in, in Brazil. That, that was a, a huge problem without a commercial vaccine. And in this, in this point, we performed several autogenous vaccines uh, we could see some significant improvements with our vaccines. And in this entire scenario, uh, PPV was a possible X factor also for, for uh, circovirus. And with this, uh, we have this, this interesting to, to study a little bit more PPV. But does PPV still need to be investigated, Professor Streck? Because after all, it's more than 50 years since it was shown to cause Smeddy syndromes of stillbirth, mummification, embryonic death, infertility. And we've had parvovirus vaccines in, to use in our swine breeding herds for at least the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. What was there still to be investigated? Yes. Um it needs to be more investigated. Thereafter, we started to, to perform some studies with Professor Uwe Truyen in Leipzig, mainly focus on evolutionary aspects of the virus. And we can observe that the occurrence and distribution of new uh, antigenic types of porcine parvovirus the, and new uh, PPV vaccines that may induce a greater immune response and cover all 
the the the, the prevalence strains, in my opinion, are quite needed. Yeah, but the key question then with these new strains would be whether the long-established PPV vaccines that I mentioned, whether they're still effective even when we're confronted with new strains. Yes, uh, I always say that vaccines are still effective, always, and we need to practice regular vaccination. But I believe that uh, new studies can make an increase in their efficiency. So we can can continue to rely on the vaccines of the past, but we need to develop new ones for the emerging conditions. Mm -hmm. Well, I believe the process of vaccinal improvement uh, should be something continuous. Since we see that the virus has also a, a continuous evolution, I also emphasize that the process of developing a vaccine can take up can take about five to to ten years. So it's, it's important that uh, companies always look out for for improvements. That, that that's very important for the, the uh, for the market. Yeah, uh, at this stage, Professor, uh, we're all familiar with PPV, as I say, over many years. But let's remind our listeners, please how and where PPV infection is seen in practice. Uh, first, we must state, I suppose, that it causes maternal reproductive failure, uh, especially in first parity gilts and second parity SARS, would you say? Yes, uh, absolutely right. Uh, the, the only well-established clinical signs after a, a PPV infection is the maternal reproductive failure. Uh, even after experimental inoculation. And I remember that in this experimental inoculation, we, we use huge doses of virus. And even so, uh, adult animals, they, they remain clinical healthy. Uh, maybe we can observe a, a, a moderate uh, lymphopenia uh, and a little bit of fever, but mostly is the, the reproductive failure the, 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 the important uh, sign. Uh, we can also observe some diarrhea and, and uh, skin lesions. Uh, that was described for PPV infection. However, uh, these this events may represent some hair findings, some artifacts, and the the etiologic role of the virus in some some symptoms are not fully understood. Yes, it could be a co-infection or so on. Yes, maybe, uh, did, maybe yeah. yes. Did I did I didn't refer to the other sign of delayed estrus, which many people talk to me about in connection with PPV. It's a it's a very common sign in infected sows and gilts. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, the the in sows and gills, the mostly the the mummification is is the most uh, important sign. Uh, mostly is the embryonic embryonic death followed by a reabsorption of fluids and the soft tissues. Uh, 
uh, that, that, that's the predominant sequel of PPV infection. Uh, this, we can see also uh, that several bacteria and other virus can perform the same, same thing. And this way is very important to perform a nice diagnosis uh, to use laboratory tests to perform this this diagnosis. Oh, but this uh, mummification, it signifies the infection has occurred in the guilt or the sow before day 70 of gestation, I understand. Uh, uh, after um, infection, you've got, uh, and the fetus is up to about day 35, I think they'd probably be resorbed, uh, reabsorbed in, uh, in many cases. So between thir day 35 and day 37, you've got, the mummification, have you? Uh, and with PPV, the piglets may have become infected, died, and become mummified at different stages, can they? Not all at once from mm -hmm. the same uterus. Okay. Um, well, the, the pathologic sequela caused by, by PPV is related to the gestational period in which infection usually occurs. Uh, at the, the gestational beginning, uh, the, the entire conceptus is protected uh, by the zona pellucida and therefore is resistant to infection. After that, in, in the stage of embryo, uh, infection can result in reabsorption, in, or in other words, embryonic death and thereafter reabsorption. Uh, from the day 35 on with the we have the beginning of the ossification and then the death of this fetus can result in in mummification finally when they, we have this 70 70 days on of gestation the fetus already have some immune system and they may resist virus infection uh, normally, an infection in this stage is quite control controlled and the piglet is born uh, with antibodies. Well, about the, um, the, the infection in, in different fetus is quite right. Not all fetus are necessarily infected. Many times uh, we have mummification in only a few fetus and others, they manage to survive the infections. Uh, it's important to say that what is the, the hallmark of porcine parvovirus are litters with that fetus from various size, uh, including mummified ones and along with stillborns healthy pigs in firstly parity guilds. That's that's the, the, the hallmark, the big hallmark of the virus. Yes, uh, the piglets, by the way, that are immunocompetent because they've been infected after day 70, would when they're born, they're alive, but are they showing any clinical signs of weakness or paleness or anything like that? Uh, or do they look quite normal? Mostly they look normal. Uh, they, they can be a little bit weak and 
probably more uh, have a more propension to another disease like Escherichia coli or uh, rotavirus, but mostly they are quite normal. Yes. Now, earlier I referred to Parvo as a SMEDI virus, and typically SMEDI is, by definition, without abortions, but I've seen occasional references to abortion. So, uh, would it be that uh, uh, either abortions or recurring estrus are, in fact, quite, quite common, or are they very rare? Uh, PPV can can make some abortions, uh, but I highlight that mummification is the most classical science mm. of the virus. But yes, we can have some some abortions. For other side, uh, some pathologists use the term abortions to define some virus signs of reproduction uh, failure. Uh, for example, also for mummification. And this way, uh, this can cause a, a misunderstanding uh, of the term abortion also. I understand, yes. Uh, so let's go back to diagnosis. I, uh, you were starting on that. Uh, have there been significant developments in PPV, in PPV diagnosis in recent years? Yeah. Well, uh, the, the diagnosis of PPV started with uh, normal uh, hemagglutination techniques and thereafter with uh, virus isolation. These both techniques, uh, they are not so many, so much sensitive uh, and usually we can reach a lot of false negative results with these techniques. Uh, thereafter, in the 90s, we started to perform PCR for PPV that helped us a lot to, to discover new strains, to see that we had, yes, PPV in our hearts. And recently, we started to perform some real-time uh, PCRs for, for PPV. That's Real-time PCRs for PPV, in my opinion, are very important to to see also uh, the, the 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 amount uh, of DNA of this virus. And in this technique, we can observe that PPV was maybe some some laboratory artifact uh, was some some secondary cause or was the, the primary cause of this mummification. Hmm. And would you say then that uh, as far as diagnosis is concerned, we've, we've improved both in our techniques. We, we know which samples we should be di uh, sending to the lab for diagnosis and we're getting a reliable result back. Would that be true or would that be too strong? Well, um, no, it, it will be true. Um, it, it's quite important to, to remember that for PPV, uh, we had a lot of autolysis material. And when we send samples to the lab, is the, the conservation of the samples is, is very important. And also the sensitivity of the technique is also important to, to, to reach this, this DNA. 
without a sensitive technique, without a, a correct conservation of this this material, we cannot reach the the, the diagnostic. In this point, it's also important to remember that maybe in the future we can talk a little bit more about uh, new diagnostic techniques uh, like uh, like point of care techniques that will be very nice to perform some some diagnostics in the field also and will be very important for ppb also so a pen side test would be a possibility yes uh, i think that that will be very important to uh, to to see if the abortion was or sorry the mummification yes. was caused uh, I, I say abortion because the the pathologists of my university they all they 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 told us well we say here abortion to all reproductive failures and, and <laughs> i usually say abortions for for virus, <laughs> but i will talk mummifications and yeah, and this way it will be very important to 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 perform the, this uh, this test in the field to see if the mummification was caused by parvovirus porcine circovirus or other other agent there right i'm with you just let me take a moment, please, to yes. say to our listeners, thank you for joining us. You're listening to a Meet the Expert podcast brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim, and we welcome feedback from you on all of our podcasts. More episodes of the Meet the Expert series will be made available to you soon, once again featuring an array of swine health experts in various countries, giving you the latest information on the important pathogens that affect pigs, so thank you for joining us today and please stay tuned for future podcasts. So back to you then, Professor Streck. Uh, PPV is a DNA virus, isn't it? But And yet it, from your remarks, it's changed genetically quite a lot since it was first reported when that was that, in the mid-60s, I think. But, so it, there have been genetic changes even in this virus. Yes, uh, it's a, a DNA virus. Uh, however, we can estimate for PPV and also for another uh, parvovirus, for example, canine parvovirus, um, a, a very high mutation rate or substitution rate, mainly in the viral protein gene. That means in the external capsid, and that's that's the part of the virus that have contact with the, the immune system. That's this way is very important to study the, the evolution of this virus and to understand that we have a process, uh, an evolutionary process happen in this in this virus. I'm with you, uh, but you mean it was. I described it as a very stable virus, but it was evolving all the time. It wasn't mm -hmm. as stable as we might have imagined. Yes, um, we can observe that by applying some some analysis, for example, molecular clock, uh, that the the main 
50 versions of this virus were introduced in the last uh, 40, 40 years. Uh, most, important, uh, most importantly, in recent years, uh, we can see new amino acids in this capsid. In other words, we can see uh, new antigenic profiles of this, this virus. And these antigenic profiles were observing in strains from, from, from several countries, mostly in Europe. And importantly, these this revolutionary hotspots were found just in the, in the surface. In other words, located uh, points located with uh, huge contact with uh, the, the human system of the, the host. Hmm. So exactly at that point of contact, you get these viral protein changes which affect uh, the surface of the capsid, the, what I still call a protein shell of the virus. I don't know whether you'd like that description, but anyway, <laughs> that's how I like to think of it, the capsid of in that way. Uh, but uh, you said... Uh, it's been going on 60 years or something, did you say? I mean, this is this genetic divergence that we see today has its root going back that far? Yes, um, we can we can perform this uh, this this studies with the, the, the genetic variety that we have today, uh, but it's important to say that uh, if we have more samples, we can we can reach a, a, a better precision in this in this studies, and for for this reason, it's, it's better to, to we need to, to do to do some some new researches and and, and get better answer. Probably the virus, uh, the, the evolutionary process of the virus uh, uh, will be uh, going on for decades, uh, but our, our information is located mainly in the last 50 years, 50 or 60 years, unfortunately. And, and this evolution was by mutation. There wasn't any recombination of virus involved in that. Mm, no, no. Uh, in our studies, we, we try to see some some recombination. Uh, we try to see some recombination signal, and we can observe a, a, a greater signal. There is. Yes, there is a small signals of recombination, but I really don't believe that that parvovirus um, make some some uh, improvement in their genetic diversity by by recombination. I think the the what drive this evolutionary process of the parvovirus uh, are points of mutation. Yeah, I'm with you. But yet, you know, until 20 years ago, we were thinking this was a virus that hardly changed at all. I mean, there was a sort of apparently a false assumption that this parvovirus did not mutate. Why, why was that assumed then? 
Well, um, parvovirus use host polymerase for replication. We have an, an DNA polymerase for, for our DNA replication. And our eukaryotic cells uh, have this polymerase complex that have a high confidence uh, in the generation of new DNA copies. And that's called a repair unit. And we, they have a very, very, very low substitution rate. And this is also good because if you don't have uh, this repair unit, we will have a lot of cases of cancer in the uh, animals and humans. That's, that's nice. However, or therefore, uh, it makes sense that parvovirus were considered more stable than another virus. And it was considered to have a substitution rate or mutational rate uh, close to their host, the, the pig. In contrast, uh, RNA virus, which have uh, their own RNA polymerase, without this repair unit, they have a, a very, very aggressive substitution rate or mutational rate. So the copies were were very close to the original with the parvo uh, and less so with the RNA. You get copies which were quite different. Yes, and what we see in the in the last studies is that, uh, on the contrary, uh, porcine parvovirus use uh, the host polymerase, but they, for some reason, uh, the the repair unit don't work so well with a virus. Usually, the in other words, this DNA polymerase works like uh, a, a normal, uh, a usual polymerase of an RNA virus and insert a lot of mutations in this in this DNA sequence. Does this help to explain why PPV has received relatively little attention from a research perspective? Yes, but I also believe that uh, the vaccine was uh, very effective in the 80s. Uh, another reason is that the, the diagnostic techniques available at this time were not so sensitive in the past. And it was much more difficult to, to, to get the diagnosis, to reach the diagnosis of mummified fetus. And it's important to say that the molecular techniques available uh, today, they have a greater sensitive compared to, to other techniques. I think these three reasons uh, are maybe the the the, the great uh, reasons to to think that PPV was not a, a, a huge problem at this time. You're right. I'm with you. Um, there seems, of course, since the year 2000, there's to have been a almost a cascade of new PPV findings in different countries. What does that 
process of evolution produced today then? We have multiple strains and genotypes in different countries. What, what are we fa facing today? Well, yes. Um, the, the first study uh, observing some, some genetic variability of PPV from, from field strains came from, from Brazil, from sequence isolated in the 90s. And they observe a lot of, of new mutations, mainly in this in this virus shell <laughs> or capsid, um, and they observe also two two main phylogenetic groups. Uh, subsequently, uh, we have these studies from Professor Truyen in Germany, and they also observe two other phylogenetic clusters in there with the 27A, with the, already I started uh, a predominance of the 27A strains, and thereafter there was a lot of studies observing new clusters, observing uh, 27A-like strains, and in, in other countries, in other continents, uh, like Austria, China, Romania, and so on. Uh, importantly, we we observe a predominance of some strains in in Europe in these times and in other and other parts of the the world in these times. Was this predictable or surprising that such an event would take place in different parts of the world and produce apparently similar viruses? Um, no, in my opinion not so that was not so surprising because um, the swine industry is quite related the the genetic of the of the pigs they came from 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 some countries and probably the the virus pests also we we, we export virus also with the, the genetic of the, the pigs. Hmm. And what's different about this, um, these strains called 27A that originally were isolated in Germany, as you say, uh, does 27A differ both genetically and antigenically? Yes, uh, 27A, uh, this, this strain, and I like to say today that we have uh, uh, 27A-like strains because the, the original 27A maybe just don't exist anymore. They have some, some new amino acids uh, in the capsid, and these amino acids are located in a very, very important part of this capsid in a part that we call loops. And in these loops, uh, or, or better, these loops are located in epitopes that are just the parts that stimulate uh, the, the human systems. And also with new research, we can observe that these epitopes or uh, sorry, this this changes in some points of these loops can can have some another effects like a better replication activity 
of these strains. And this way, the, the 27A-like strains are very important today in the field and mm. probably but, predominant. Yeah. So they have antigenic differences. Is 27A in general more virulent? Hmm. That's a nice question. Uh, yes. Uh, Professor Uwe Truyen performed some, some studies and we can see in these studies that 27A is more virulent, yes, compared to standard sequence. And importantly, they can reach a better replication for in some cases and also have a reduced uh, neutralizing uh, or better also antibodies raised against some some older strains have some reduced uh, capability against this this 27a strains so again vaccine uh, would it be older vaccines would be making uh, antibodies which may not uh, be so effective against 27a Yes, um, but I, I need to remember that uh, for, for a vaccination, that, that's another factors that play a role. For example, um, we have the, the technology of the, the vaccine with the technology of the adjuvant, and we have the, also uh, another technologies, for example, when we perform some protein purification, uh, we can reach a better uh, doses, a better quantity of, of protein. And, and that's, that's quite important also in the vaccine. And when we say, uh, when we talk about vaccine technology, uh, the, the genetic characteristic of the base vaccine strain is, is important. But we need to remember that that is another that are another factors uh, in the vaccine as well. Thank you. Now we can we hope I hope we will continue this conversation. The implications of vaccination in our second conversation, a second podcast, Professor Streck. But I regret for the moment I have to say thank you very much because we've come to the end of this podcast. And uh, may I remind our listeners, we've been talking in Brazil to Professor André Felipe Streck at the University of Caxias do Sul, and uh, we've been talking about the porcine parvovirus, or PPV. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Professor Streck, and to our listeners, uh, please stay tuned for a further conversation. Goodbye. <laughs>